Welcome to The Rock Church, a vibrant, enthusiastic, edgy church meeting in West Bridgeford, Nottingham. You can find out more about us by visiting the-rock.org.uk. We hope you were blessed by this message. Okay, there's been lots to get through this morning and there still is a significant chunk left of our service time together and that's the preaching the word. We value that, right? And we value Kate as our pastor, so why don't you welcome her and I will pray for her and then we will let her loose. Give her a hand. Father, we thank you for your word. We mean it. We really thank you for your word. Without it, we are totally lost. We're just wandering around aimlessly. But Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. Lord, it guides us. It governs us. It holds us together. It refreshes us. It encourages us. It does so much for us. May we take this portion of your word, your food this morning, into our souls and our spirits, that it will do us good and that it will accomplish what you sent it to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. At the beginning of the year, um, as an SLT, we, we chose our word of expectation. And I thought to myself, how can I be more expectant? And I, I decided that I was going to study all the miracles of Jesus. And I'd love to tell you, stand here this morning and say, I've studied them all. It's fantastic. But I didn't get past the first one. Not because I was bored or anything, just because I was completely camped in it, because it just completely wowed me. And every time I read it, I got something else out of it. And so this morning, I could have just read you the first miracle of Jesus, but we're going to watch a 10-minute clip. So it's a little bit different this morning. We've got a 10-minute clip, and then I just literally want to bring three things out of this miracle for us as a church. So if we can roll the clip, that would be cool. Join us in the song of Miriam. They've run out of wine. But it's only the first day? Yes, and it's all gone. Not a drop left. Why are you telling me this? We can't let the celebration end like this. And Etcher's family humiliated. Boys, uh, go join the others. I'll be right there. Mm. Fill these jars with water. I'm not sure you heard her clearly, but we've run out of wine. Not water. These are similar in size to your amphorae. The prudent marks, yes. Equally filled all the way to the brim. 
You're a very responsible person, aren't you? We are in a crisis, and I was led to understand you have a solution. Do you know why jars for purification rites are made of stone? <laughs> what? You heard me. Because the stone is pure. Less likely to stain or break, and it can't be made unclean. Yes. Fill these jars with water all the way to the brim. Why? You heard him. Start drawing water, quickly. Tell anyone you find to stop what they're doing and help. From the directions you have provided, I see no logical solution to the problem. It's going to be like that sometimes, Thomas. What did you say? I do not rebuke you. It is good to ask questions, to seek understanding. There's no time for this. I know of a man like you in Capernaum, always counting, always measuring. That's my job. And that people will think I have not done well tonight. Join me. And I will show you a new way to count and measure. A different way of seeing time. Go with you where? I, I don't understand. Keep watching. Abner, I do hope you're enjoying yourself. Where are the servers? I don't know, but I'll go find them right away. It is far past time for another round of wine. The last one was nearly an hour ago. Yes, well, you Surely see... Surely there is more common, Dinah. Uh, I'm very sorry. Please do not worry. This will be taken care of immediately. Next round of wine right away. Thank you for reminding us it's all on the contrary. Was your father a stonemason as well? Smith. <laughs> I think it broke his heart, but... I apprenticed under a stonecutter when I was nine. Every man must leave his father. Masonry seems like harder work. <laughs> it isn't harder, it's just... More, uh, final. If the smith wants to change the horseshoe or the plowshare or the pot hook, he has only to put the iron back into the fire and reshape it to fit his designs. Therefore, everyone, please step outside. Just for a moment, Thomas.
Once you make that first cut into the stone, it can't be undone. It sets in motion a series of choices. What used to be a shapeless block of limestone or granite begins its long journey of transformation. And it will never be the same. I'm ready, Father. Some out and serve it to the master of the banquet. Oh, it's about time. The latter vintage, sir. Good, good. I would like to say I would like to address the bridegroom and the bride families at every wedding I've ever overseen they serve the best wine first and then when the people have drunk freely much later in the feast they serve the poorer wine the cheap stuff <laughs> because by then who is going to notice <laughs> am I right but you you have chosen now to serve the best wine I have ever tasted. Let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture. May the wedding of Asher, son of Rafi and Dinah, to Sarah, daughter of Abner and Hila, be as pure and as fruitful as this wine. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. To Asher and Sarah! We'll leave it there. Thank you. Oh, got really emotional watching that. An Irish priest is driving a little bit erratically down a road. And a policeman notices him and starts trailing him. And the driving gets worse and worse. So the policeman pulls him over, gets out of his car, knocks on the window, asks him to put his window down. And as he does that, he notices an empty bottle of wine on the floor. And the policeman says to the priest, have you been drinking? And the priest says, just water. 
And he says, well, how comes I can smell wine on your breath and you've got an empty bottle on the floor? And the priest says, good Lord, he's only gone and done it again. <laughs> oh, where to start? Three things in the short time that I've got left. Firstly, sometimes we think we're not ready to step up, but God says that we are. Jesus was willing to honor his mother's request to do something about the wine situation at the wedding, even though he said in front of her, my time hasn't come, I'm not ready. Because he knew that when he performed that miracle, as we've heard on the story, everything was about to change for him. And sometimes a push from someone can propel us into a new season. I remember when we were three years into married life, we had a 10-year plan before we were going to have kids. And three years in, God spoke and said, it's time to start a family. And I was working out the other day that had we had our 10-year plan, when we pioneered the rock, our kids would have been three and one. I'm so glad they were 10 and eight. And had we been at this stage where we're planting churches, they still wouldn't have been old enough for us to just be able to go about our life and daily business in the ministry. Sometimes God has to push us out before we originally planned it. It doesn't mean it's wrong because God's timing is always perfect. Even Jesus said he wasn't ready, but God knew he was. For Jesus, the water to my miracle, his first was the start of something new. He was literally catapulted into the public arena. A lot of people were at that wedding, a lot of people would have witnessed what he'd done. And he knew that that was the kickstart of his ministry and that his time on the planet was now going to be a lot shorter. And maybe some of us think we're not ready for something, but let's not forget, forget that God can do anything. He can do more than we think, ask, ask or imagine. So maybe today for some of you, there's a season change coming. Don't fight it. It could be God just propelling you into something, even though you think you're not ready. He knows when you are. Amen. The second thing is that Jesus can do anything. That's his part. We need to be expectant, and that's our part. This first miracle, it had a real feel-good factor to it. It was a happy time. It was being celebrated by family and friends, and Mary had been invited. But on the day of the wedding, which was three days in, that's when they actually have the ceremony in Israel, three days in, and the reason they do it three days in, because on creation, on the third day, God doubly blessed it, and he wants to doubly bless marriages. But Mary's panicking, because the wine has run out. And wine was a massive deal at weddings in, in that day. It was a huge part of the festivities. And don't think for a minute that the guests were getting drunk on it. Not at all. That was actually a massive disgrace. And actually, the wine was diluted two-thirds of water. But to fall down on a simple ingredient like the wine at a wedding was a huge disgrace. It was humiliating to the couple who were being married. And back then, the wine would have flowed for seven days straight. And we've seen that Mary asks Jesus to do something about the problem. And the mere fact that she asks him makes me think she must have known that he could do something. She must have known. Could she have had a clue what he was going to do? I don't know. But maybe, just maybe, this wasn't his first miracle. Maybe he'd done miracles at home as a kid in privacy with his family. Maybe when Mary was cooking and something got burnt, Jesus unburnt it. Who knows? Maybe when Jesus fell over and got a boo-boo, he didn't need a plaster because he just laid hands on himself and got healed. Who knows? It's not in the Bible. But she knew enough to have the confidence and the faith and the expectation that when she asked for his help, he wasn't going to let her down. 
And her expectation wasn't just that Jesus was going to do something good. It was that he was going to do something absolutely mind-blowingly brilliant. I mean, what's the guy to do? He's been asked to do something by his mother. He can't just stand by and watch a wedding go to ruin. Watch a family be humiliated. Watch a load of guests go home early. That's not who he is, and he certainly wasn't about to disobey. So he does the exact opposite of all that and goes and does something so completely impossible that nobody could have realized what it was going to be. Because to change water into wine, it actually involves an entire change in the molecular structure of the water. It's not like Jesus added a bit of food coloring. He changed the atomic structure of the liquid. That is totally impossible. It was impossible then, and it's impossible now. So why do we worry when we have a family argument or that big bill drops through the letterbox or we lose our job? When we know that Jesus can do mind-blowing things on our behalf. I love the example Mary leaves us here. She didn't have the faith in herself to sort the situation. She probably thought it was party over. She was probably panicking. Any, any of us ever entertained and thought, oh, my life, I've not got enough food. This isn't good. We don't know what to do in moments like that. And we don't know who to turn to. But Mary had an expectation in her son that he was capable of anything and everything. And she asked him. And I'm sure all of us have had times in our lives when everything seems hopeless and the situation is dire and your circumstances are impossible and your wine's run out and you've got nowhere to turn. But it's in these moments we need to do what Mary did. We turn to him. We don't know what he's going to do. We don't have to work out the no. We just need to turn to him and believe and expect that he wants to turn our water into wine. Amen. Anytime we turn our troubles over to Jesus, we can be rest assured that he is working on our behalf. Just like we've heard about this prayer and fasting campaign. When we pray, things change. Stuff happens. It's not us. It's him. I wonder if Mary was surprised by that end result. Because nobody could have predicted what he was going to do. It wasn't a thing then. It's not a thing now. But that is part of the excitement of having Jesus in your life and following him. He's completely unpredictable. You never know what he's going to do next. But what we do know is that when he does it, it's going to be brilliant. I'll never forget my last away game with Forrest before I stopped going for over a decade. I've been saved for about half a year at this point, And I was coming to that place where I just felt utterly convicted following Jesus and following my team. Because I'm an all or nothing kind of person. I'm either all in or I'm all out. And I was getting to that stage, you know, that little verse about um, not serving God and mammon and money. For me, it was, I don't think I can serve God and football. I had two gods in my life and I knew one of them had to go. But in my thinking, I, I didn't know how to lay something down that I still really loved and, and wanted to be a part of. I didn't know how to walk away. And yet by this point in my life, everything else had changed. He'd broken all my addictions. I was, I was engaged to be married to a Christian. I was, I was in the terraces on a Saturday, worshiping one thing, and in church on a Sunday, worshiping another. And I felt utterly trapped. 
And so one Saturday, I found myself at St. James's Park in Newcastle, Forest Away. And I was there with the, the lads that I always went with from before I was a Christian. And on this particular day, two of the lads in our kind of gang were sozzled, absolutely out of it. And um, we were in the stadium and they were getting more abusive by the minute and they were starting to pick on the stewards uh, and they were starting to get quite racist and something in me, which I know is the Holy Spirit now, couldn't cope with what I was seeing and hearing and I, I, felt, I felt tainted, I, I felt embarrassed that I was in this place with the Holy Spirit and I knew he didn't want to be in that environment and, and so I grappled with what was going on inside me and then, and then I realised... I can't be in this. And so I went to the back of the bit where we were sat and spoke to the stewards and the police. And within about two minutes, the police and the stewards went down to where I'd been sat, picked up my two mates and escorted them out of the stadium down into the police cells. They knew it was me. And that's the day I stopped following Forrest for a long time. I was fearful for my life because I knew what these people were capable of. But what had actually happened was God had rescued me. I hadn't seen any kind of way out, but God had already got a plan for what he was going to do to take me out of that situation so I could just focus my attention on him. If they hadn't have been kicked out and evicted, I don't know where I'd be today. Whether I'd still be one foot in the world and one foot, or one foot in a stadium and one foot in the church. I needed an out and I didn't see a natural way out. But God, because he's the genius and he always has a rescue plan. He's the master of getting us out of messes and situations and he's the one who wants to turn our water into wine. And after that, I completely fell out of love with Forrest for over a decade. And the way I returned is a story for another day, but I will tell you, it was a Holy Ghost setup completely. And one of my first home games back, I did actually see one of the guys that had been kicked out. And I think, I think God had clearly done a number on him because he didn't mention it. And we had a brilliant catch up. God is good. But ask Jesus for your own water to wine miracle. Come to him expectant, not knowing the who, the when, the where, the what, or the how. Just believing that he can do anything for you. And when he does, it's going to be brilliant. Which brings me on to my final point. Please know this. God isn't a killjoy. God is a God who wants to give us really great things. He's not some policeman in the sky or an old man with a stick waiting to whack us when we mess up. He doesn't enjoy it when we're wallowing. He doesn't enjoy saying, I told you so, when we mess up. He's the God who wants to turn your wine, your water into wine. He's a God who sent his son so that we could have a full life. And Jesus was living his life to the full at that wedding. Like he was enjoying the party, full on party mode. He was the one who chose to keep that party going. He didn't have to do that miracle. Those water pots. They hold between 20 and 30 gallons of water. And times that by the six that there were, you've got 180 gallons of wine. 
That's like a lake of wine. That's what Jesus did at that party. That's a whole lot of wine. And I think what the Apostle John is trying to say here is that when the grace of God comes to us, he doesn't just supply an adequate amount. His grace overflows. It's abundant. And there's nothing that we can do to exhaust it. He's not a party pooper. Far from it. He's a party provider. And the servants at that wedding saw water, which is cheap and tasteless, turned into the finest wine that is costly and exuberant and bold and joyful. And John, who wrote these verses, saw a man who in this first miracle, this first sign, declared himself as an agent of transformation. And it's only in the Gospel of John that we hear recorded Jesus saying, I have come that they can have a full life. And I think this statement is what the miracle at Cana is all about. Water, the basic necessity of life, is changing to wine which is the symbol, not just of life, but of abundant life, of joy, of celebration. And so if you read this story just thinking that wine or alcohol is wrong, you've completely missed the point. Wine in scripture is a symbol of joy and warmth and celebration and abundance. And in changing it, changing that water to wine and allowing that wedding celebration to continue, Jesus is cluing people in on his mission. He's come to transform the world. He's come to transform your world's. And please don't think you have to be broken to be transformed. The object of the transformation in this story was already good. Water's good. Water's from God. It's pure. Nothing wrong with it. Doesn't need fixing. But the message of transformation at Cana is about making, isn't about making the bad good. It's about making the good even greater. And that's what Jesus can do for us. He can bring a new quality into our lives. He can turn something that's already pretty good into something absolutely extraordinary. He can turn the water in us, the good stuff, into wine, the great stuff. And those guests, as we heard on the clip, they tasted the best wine they'd ever had. Without Jesus, our lives can be stale and flat and boring. But with him... Life is colourful and rich and exciting. And Jesus set a precedent with this miracle by showering the entire wedding party, his mum and his mates, with the very finest, the very best. He did a great thing. And I want to encourage you. He's still doing great things. He still wants to do great things for us. And once he started with those miracles, he didn't stop for three years until he went to the cross for us. And he hasn't stopped yet. Wherever he went, whenever he went, and whomever he encountered, he turned their lives from water to wine. Their souls, their lives, their bodies. He transformed them into fine wine. And maybe some of us need that water to wine experience today. So I just say, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, turn our water to wine. Turn our circumstances and our situations into something utterly miraculous that we could never have thought up in a million years and increase our level of expectation to believe that the miracles that you did back then you still are doing and want to do in the lives of your people here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.